Hello and welcome to episode 49 of your Hotel Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Stuart Butler, joined today with Marvelous Misha. Hello. I did it different. I usually go with Pete first. I know. I'm honored. I was struggling with a P word. All the words that came to mind were not Well, you seem to struggle with the M too. So. Uh, well, it was because I was thinking about P. And then well, now you got another M. So. Well, I just said I was thinking about P too. So, <laughs> so, so do you need, do you need to take a break and go? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. And uh, Pete is here as well. Hey, everybody. Pete DeMeo and Melissa Cavanaugh. Hello. I'm the only one that got a descriptor this week. How about that? Pete, Pete's descriptor was Pete. Hmm. He is a Pete. Yeah. I feel like we've gone off the rails already. <laughs> yep. We do that a lot. So what are we talking about today, Melissa? This is your episode. We are talking about user testing today. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. Testing our users? Testing our users, testing our websites. Ooh. That I was going to say, if any of our users or listeners would like to be tested, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> that came out way <laughs> wrong after it said it, so <laughs> maybe not. I feel like we've been doing this, this is our 49th time doing this, and, and we should be better than <laughs> we, we are. We are not any better than our first episode. We're probably worse, I would, I would <laughs> guess. I hear 50 is really when it turns the corner. So Yeah, I'm hoping next week. So, Melissa, so we're talking about user testing. We are. And you want to elaborate on that? So we are talking about user testing and software that is available where you can watch videos of people actually testing your website and get their commentary and feedback and their opinions on how your website is functioning. You know, it's really interesting that most people when they're designing a website, design it for themselves and not for their guests. They absolutely do. And so we try to educate our clients on that. And one of the best ways to open their eyes is to show them how an actual guest uses their website, right? So we're gonna be talking about that, the pros, the cons. Uh, Tambourine, who is a competitor of ours, they're they're in the same space as us, put out a, a pretty cool blog post with some examples of that last week, which was a really good idea from them. I think it's not new to be doing the user testing, but I think to use it as a marketing tool for them was really smart. So kudos to them. And uh, so we're giving them a free plug right now on our show because of that. But it kind of spurred some conversation internally about the benefits of user testing and what we've learned. You know, we've been doing it for a few years now and what we've learned to take from it and what we've learned to ignore from it as well. So that's what we're going to be getting into today. But before we do, let's get into the news, Peter. All right. Well, the first news item we have is on T-News, and it is entitled, What Part of the Hotel Experience is Most Talked About on Social Media? I really like this article because it takes a look at your site and your guests' experience from something of a kind of a non-typical way. And in this case, what happened is a, a data company called Local Measure looked at 300 hotels across the period of two months in 2017 and basically graphed how many times each individual amenity was highlighted on someone's social media profile. And what they found was pretty interesting. So the number one most posted item was about restaurant and meals. So they're yeah. at the hotel and you know, they're, they're you know, tweeting or you know, snapping a pic of you know, what they're eating. That happened 11,700 times. That's followed by drinks at the bar, 6,400 posts. So if you look at those two combined, really around 18,000 or so you know, promotions on social all center around F&B at a hotel. Coming up in third place and pretty far behind is a view from the guest room. And that was only 4,000 posts about that. 
from there, key room features at 3,000, and then the pool and swimming complexes at 2,800 posts. But what's really interesting, kind of in my opinion, is you know, how much time are individual hotels spending on making their F&B experience very you know, social shareable? You know, do you have good lighting in there? Do you have you know, picturesque scenes where if someone is taking a you know, picture of their food, are you getting the best you know, view of the resort at that same time? You know what's missing from that list, which is really interesting, is the service. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no mention of people in that list, which is interesting to me. Well, how would you take a picture of a service? Are you talking about like a, at a spa or like... Well, this is really the most talked about. So this yeah, is it's not, not necessarily photos. Mm-hmm. photos. Like, no one's saying, you know, Pete in reservations was really nice and helped me out and stuff like that. Yeah. Hmm. And this is inclusive of all posts regarding these 300 hotels that they looked at. It doesn't differentiate between positive or negative, which also means that people aren't negatively saying, you know, the service experience is horrible. I've been waiting for towels at the pool and they haven't gotten here. Yeah, I'd be interested in looking at how they collected this data and what, you know, how they filtered the words and things like that. Because I I would have imagined there would be more service related chatter either way. But, you know, food and beverage is the experience that people are going, Mm -hmm. they're enjoying at the property. They're not going to go talk about the color of the walls or the, the patterns on the drapes. You know, it's just, it's not interesting. Yeah. It also shows you how much a property has to mess up to have someone talk about it on social media. You know, in a lot of these cases, they're looking at, you know, things that the person's doing. They want, that customer wants their friends to feel like they are exclusive and they went to someplace special. So they're always going to try to put the best foot forward, I think, in many cases. But when we do see those horror stories of, you know, people complaining and, you know, people posting negatively, it really has a lot of, you know, background to it to where you really have to mess up. You know, if you do put your best foot forward as a property, you can typically expect to see some pretty positive results on social. Yeah, I mean, social media is that shiny, glossy, filtered window into your life, right? You want yeah. everyone to be jealous. But yeah, yeah everyone you... takes a picture of the yard that they just mowed, yeah. not the one that's, you know, overgrown with weeds. Exactly. So, you know, I, I get that people want to post stuff that it's going to put them in the right light, but people do post negative stuff. You know, if there's, you know, severe cases like bed bugs or blood stains on the mattress, yeah. both of which are, are real examples that we've had to deal with with clients, right? But, I, yeah, I don't know. I just, I want to know more about how they did this research. It just doesn't add up to me. It seems odd to me that as much as I enjoy taking pictures of food when I'm out at a restaurant, it's not the, the first thing I would do on vacation. I mean, I would definitely be taking pictures of the pool or the surrounding area or something more along those lines yeah. than mm-hmm. in the restaurant. That seems a little odd to me. Well, I'm wondering if this to be was... be that far ahead from study. I don't want to say skewed, but I think a lot of times we're in the perspective of the leisure traveler, whereas I think a business traveler perspective might be a little bit different like just thinking of apparently the only hotel I've ever stayed at because it's the only hotel stay I ever referenced but when we were in Raleigh we weren't we were there for a conference so we weren't there to go to the pool or whatever but they had a really cool lobby bar dining area so I definitely talked about that and had some pictures of my friends there and took pictures of the unique craft cocktails so I think it might you know perhaps be a little bit different audience so I agree we probably do need a little bit more information about where they pulled this from was it segmented etc well and it's a it's a pretty broad segment and they looked at hotels in the U.S. Australia and across Asia and they looked at every comment that was made about those 300 hotels Hmm. on you know their specific property and Stuart to your point 
they really only talked about the staff in 800 of the posts hmm. total that they collected. Yeah, I just don't buy it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you take that up with a local measure. Okay. <laughs> sure, they're swell people. I just, I don't know. I would like to know more about the methodology and how they mined the data. That, that's all. What's next? So I have an article from travelweekly.com that um, it struck my interest just because I thought it was an interesting move for this particular hotel group. So the article is titled Marriott by Stake in Tours and Activity Search Engine, which brought my attention because I feel like other companies have moved in this direction. I mean, we just talked about was last week or the week before TripAdvisor is wanting to monetize this aspect of the services that they offer on their website. And Airbnb as well has moved into the more tours and activities direction with where they're going. So Marriott looks like they want a piece of the pie and they have bought stake in PlacePass, which I have personally never heard of. But um, apparently this is a huge website. They offer more than 100,000 tours and activities in over 800 destinations across the world. So it's a pretty big footprint. And I actually decided to check this website out for myself, and I asked um, Melissa where she wanted to go right before the podcast, and she said Tahiti, which was a great option. Um, it's a very nice design website um, from a user perspective, really easy to use. I mean, I'm seeing tons of stuff to do in Tahiti, um, so I think this is you know, perhaps a really good move for Marriott to try to take up a little bit more space and perhaps offer a service that they don't currently offer. That's cool. And now I want to go to Tahiti even more. So thanks for adding that to my bucket list. I'm wondering if, I mean, they didn't buy the company outright and acquire it, but, you know, I'm wondering if this pans out for them, if this could be a situation where if you're staying at Marriott, you can, they are going to integrate this into their website. So now when you're booking a hotel, you can book tours and activities in your destination. I mean, that's where my mind went when I saw this news. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I think, you know, obviously hotels are trying to maximize revenue and, and there's only so far you're going to be able to push up your ADR in, in occupancy is obviously finite. So if you want to increase revenue, you've got to look at new revenue streams. So mm-hmm. with a lot of our clients, you know, whether it's things like vacation insurance plans, if you cancel, whether it's uh, free or paid breakfast, late checkouts, you know, there's a lot of ways to add additional revenue to an existing stay F and B like Pete just said. So that, that it kind of makes sense from that perspective. However, you know, we've got a lot of clients that for a long time in, in resort destinations that have tried to package stuff together, package experiences, right? And, and it used to be golf was huge in, in some of the destinations we're in and show tickets and, you know, theme parks and stuff like that. We're seeing that less and less and less. Like people just don't want to package stuff. And if you think about our life in general, and, and we talked last week on the episode about instant gratification and, and expectations and how everything's on demand and we want exactly what we want. We don't want to be told what to do. Like, I don't know if packaging is the way to go, but giving them the option, I think is fine. And exposing them to something that you can now get an, an extra dollar here and there from makes sense. But I don't think Merritt's going to go out and start saying, mm-hmm. get a room and, and these seven activities in the, your stay. Because remember, people aren't choosing to go to the hotel to stay at the hotel. They go into the destination for an existing reason, right? They're either meeting someone or attending something or there's an event going on or it's their annual vacation. They're going to the destination. They have to stay at a hotel. And sometimes they have leisure time to do extra stuff in their free time where this could come into play. But I, I mean, know. from a data perspective, it, it's a great you know sharing opportunity. You know, people are going to take multiple tours and events you know, during a 
travel experience and they'll probably do it multiple times through a year in different destinations you know so if you can have more of a captive audience where you know what they're doing from a leisure perspective outside the hotel you'll be able to better attract them into the hotel and various destinations yeah and i wonder if it's kind of both they're looking at both ways too so yeah people that are already going to book a hotel that expose them to these these activities but people that are looking at activities are they going to try to sell promote Mm the hotel more prominently you know i don't know it's chicken and egg a little bit because a lot of times people won't book activities until they book the hotel so i don't know how valuable it is doing it on the reverse but yeah every time i've seen you know hotels try to get involved with off property activities it's it's kind of been lukewarm response yeah you know on property tours and activities are fantastic and some of the larger resorts that have you know things like you know jet skis and you know hiking and things like that that's great but for properties who don't have that, just having some type of commission-based structure is typically where I've seen those hotels eventually go because inevitably the tour operator is going to want you to push their product, push their product, push their product. And then when the customer's on the property, it gets a little bit overwhelming for them. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge though because if you have that relationship with, with a provider, an activity provider, where you don't have ownership – then you, you, you're vouching for them, right? You're promoting it. Then you're, uh, in, to some degree, you're responsible for the experience in the customer service. And if someone goes on that tour and has a terrible time and the customer service sucks, then that reflects badly on you as a, as a property as well. So I think Marriott having some ownership in that makes sense from that perspective, you know, because now they have a little more control over the quality and the brand standards of the activity in addition to the hotel. I will say on an unrelated note, I thought it was amusing that on this particular page about Marriott, I am seeing no fewer than five display ads pushing the Starwood guest programs, like hmm. loyalty program. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting since Marriott just bought Starwood. Well, <laughs> Would they to, not push the Marriott loyalty well, program? Well, they're trying to merge the two, right? Well, so. for sure. But And five on one page is a little overwhelming. I haven't seen that many for the same brand since Zenny, which I guess they work because <laughs> I just bought some new glasses, but... <laughs> and so they're stunning glasses. Yeah. So now you're going to be standing in Starwood next week. All right. What's next, Melissa? What's next is not an actual news article, but it is hot off the press from my inbox to your ears. Mm-hmm. And that is that Google has finally released to the world, entirely global, free testing software. You heard Ooh. it here free testing software to everybody. So if you have Google Analytics, you now have access to their testing software called Google Optimize, which allows you to test and serve personalized website experiences through their software. And so now 0% of people in this listening demographic have an excuse not to be testing. Hmm. Now, they had a product before, right, that was not very good. It was terrible. So is this That's one what better? I have to say. Is this I, one better? I believe it will be better. I have not had the chance to test it for myself, testing, but it couldn't be worse than So it was, it was. called Google Website Optimizer before, right? Yes. And now it's called Google Optimizer. So Google we, Optimize. Optimize, okay. Yes. So they lost website and R, and it's a whole It's a whole different thing. product. But yeah. they added 360. Oh, that's just true. That's a different product. That's okay. for the paid, like, super-duper expensive yeah. version. Okay. Well, see, that's yeah, what I was going to ask. What's their gain here i know google analytics is free and i know they have a premium version i mean is this 
because now you'll be able to see how much you're testing your AdWords stuff and uh, you can test your data, landing pages. Data, 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 data. All, and they get all your data. Just in the back of my mind, I'm like, nothing is ever free. What's the catch? Yeah. With Google, it's data. And, and so, you know, if I was Optimizely or Visual Website Optimizer or one of these other companies in this space, I'd obviously get a little bit nervous right uh, now. Yes. Um, as a, a marketer that uses testing software, it's exciting. I want to always want to try new new products. And as a consumer, it makes me a little nervous that they're going to get even more data on me and how I behave too. But they, you better believe that they're going to take the data they acquire from this and blend it into their, the knowledge of their other products. Of so, course. You know, I'm not saying that you have to use this because then it will help your SEO. But you better believe that how people interact with your website and how much you're optimizing that conversion rate on your website and how sticky your website is, i.e. people aren't just bouncing out, all of that stuff's already part of the search algorithm. And it's just going to get smarter and smarter, right? So you've got to invest in testing your website. You have to, regardless of what software you use, you have to be testing and improving your conversion rate every single day. Absolutely. Which leads us into our topic of the day. Oh, wow, that was convenient. Wasn't totally convenient? unintended. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so again, Tambourine put out this this article last week that was picked up on uh, hotelmarketing.com and they're basically saying, watch real people interact with Expedia versus the hotel's own website, right? Which we've done a whole episode on that before, like why people prefer the booking process on, on an OTA versus a hotel website and how hotel, hotel websites can do a much better job. So that, that was really interesting. So no, no, I would go read that article. We'll link to it from the show notes. But more importantly, let's talk about it from a hotel's perspective in terms of how to use this software and you know what are the benefits of using this kind of software. But before we get into that, let's talk about what you really learned from it and, and, and differentiate between uh, quantitative and qualitative data. All right, so first of all, as Stuart just said, we're looking at two different types of data when we're talking about user testing. What we talked about in the news was testing software, A-B testing. That gives you concrete, measurable data based on basically science and math, where you have things that count as data. You have page views, you have visits, you have revenue, you have an actual conversion rate that is measurable by science. And with, you have a sample size that is large enough to be statistically significant. Right. Well. With user testing or any type of behavioral testing where you're watching a video and you're getting feedback, you can't really put a number, you can't put a conversion rate, you can't put anything really measurable on that data, so to speak. So that's qualitative data. If you think about it, the word quality is just about in there. And you can't measure quality with hard science. It's opinions. Right. It's a lot, it's a lot more subjective, Where, whereas A-B testing is completely objective. In addition, typically with user testing software, you're talking about a very small sample size. You're not talking about thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people coming to your site that are being tested. You're typically looking at a much smaller sample size, maybe 10, maybe 20 people maximum is what we would normally see in a user testing. And that's a very small sample size. So keep that in mind. Yeah. And this is a, this is an extension of what, you know, focus groups have done for years, you know, and, and back in the day when I started out in this industry 16 years ago, we would go to a hotel and offer free breakfast for guests that were staying there to come and sit down in front of a computer and use, 
you know, a tool, like whether it's the website or whatever functionality we'd rolled out, you know, it's artificial because they know we're observing them and, you know, it, it, but we could only do it in limited number and it took forever and to get the people to do it and it was just a lot of rigmarole, right? So user testing has virtualized that. We can do it via the internet, solicit targeted people and do it in a way that's a lot more cost effective than it used to be. Yes, and I do want to clarify user testing versus another tool that's available, which are heat maps, which you can get, again, for free in Google Analytics. Adobe Analytics has another version of it. Um, and you can see on a heat map what people are clicking on. So you might ask, well, why wouldn't I just do that? Because I can see that information. And right. that is quantitative versus one of these videos that's going to cost me much more money. And the answer is, A, heat maps are a little wonky in you. I take all of that information with a grain of salt, especially if you have dynamic content being served on the site. Um, it's, it can be a little tricky to get that data to be clean, but it does give you just a general idea of what things are getting clicked on on your website, but it doesn't give you the why. It doesn't give you the thought process behind why people are clicking on those things. So both are really good tools, but I just wanted to clear that up a little bit before we move on into the test. So the test itself, again, from Tambourine, that people were looking at Expedia's website. They were tasked with picking a luxury property in New York City, and we got to see one version on a mobile device and one version on a typical laptop computer. And we got to see them go through that thought process of navigating the search, trying to figure out how to filter the search results for a luxury property, which may or may not have been intuitive, uh, and then going through the booking process all the way until they actually had to put in a credit card and their thought process of how they chose the property that they selected, et cetera, et cetera. And then they were asked to go to Google and search for that same property and compare the experience on the hotel's website to Expedia's experience. And that was the, the most important part of, in my opinion, the test was to see which they thought was easier to book on and what the hiccups were on both sites. And the findings were not surprising. Expedia was pretty much flawless. It was very easy to book. It was two steps to check out basically versus the property websites where they had more selections to make along the way, whether it was additional services, they had to log in or not log in, and there were more questions to be answered in the booking process. So nothing surprising on the outcome of the test, but it definitely is interesting to watch those videos. For sure. I mean, it's definitely interesting. Like I said, we did a whole episode on that same concept. Hotels have to get smarter. They have to do a better job of creating a mousetrap that puts people through the funnel as fast as possible. But for the purpose of today's conversation, let's kind of just talk in generalities about user testing, how valuable it is, and in some of the pitfalls as well. We've made mistakes internally when we've used user testing. We've made incorrect assumptions, I feel like, at times. But we've learned from that, right? We don't, or very, very rarely do we launch a new website now for one of our clients without doing some user testing, either during the, the process or as it launches, right? Because we've also do in times before launching a new site. We just finished rolling out a new website for a rental management company. And before we even went there, we looked at the few key competitors in the market, but then also looked at, had them do a user testing experience on Airbnb 
VRBO and Expedia and watched how the customers were doing that to help us better serve specifically that vacation rental customer. And it did give us a lot of good insights. Most of the insights that you see are more little roadblocks that the customer hits on one site versus another site. Not necessarily something that you would ever pick up on, say, you know, a click stream of through the site, but where they weren't quite sure of what they wanted to do. And having that person, you know, dictate what they're doing during the process is always nice as well because you kind of get an understanding of they want to see the amenities and they're trying to find a place to click for it, but they just really can't put the dots together. Sure, and I think this type of information is so invaluable because I know that we get stuck and I think a lot of um, hotel managers or hotel marketers get stuck in either we really love this design, we want to go with this design because it's pretty, or when they're going through a hotel website, you know, I feel like we're a little bit savvier. We know where to look for certain things. If I'm looking for a blog and I can't find it, I know to go to the footer because there's going to be a link. Like little things like that, we know where to find stuff because we work on websites all day. Obviously, the average user is not going to be quite as savvy. So having that perspective on how actually usable your website really is, is really important. Yeah, and it's, it's silly stuff. I mean, it, we come at it from a different perspective because we're, you know, technology and websites. The hotel comes at it from a completely different perspective because they have this innate knowledge of the property already, right? So one of the ones that was, one of the early ones we did was just when I had the aha moment that like, this is going to be valuable. And that was, it was a, it was an oceanfront property in a resort destination. And the person that was on the website said, as they were going through, I don't know if this hotel's on the ocean or not, right? And when we looked at the photography, you know, there was lots of cool stuff of people on the beach. There was lots of cool property shots and amenity shots. But there wasn't anything on the site either written or in the photography that said, this is literally right on the ocean, right? So we, we put some different photography on there, put some different verbiage on there, and re-ran the test. And that never came up again, right? It was just positioning the property, showing a photo that had not just the property, but its vicinity to the beach front and center was really critical. And once we launched with that, we saw the conversion rate go up, you know? So it's little things that you take for granted. The property had Oceanfront in its name. I mean, it was it was not, not obvious, right? But apparently it was to the consumer that wasn't familiar with the property. Yeah, and that really lets us see what we don't expect to see. We expect visitors to take a certain path because we are intimately familiar with a property and or a website. We expect visitors to take a certain path through the website and then you get to watch these real people and you, you go, wait, why did you click on that instead of this other thing that was blatantly obvious to us? But these are the things that you know start to entice conversation internally. Like, what else can we do with this? Why? you know, is there a better way to present this information or drive people better down this conversion path and generate ideas for testing those hypotheses? Uh, Pete, you have to leave us? I do. I have to sneak out early. Okay. Sneaky, Sneaky Pete. Pete. <laughs> That's going to be my uh, thing for next week. Sneaky Pete. Sneaky Pete. There you go. Thanks for so, joining us, Pete. Before you leave, where though. can they find you on the web, buddy? Well, they can find me on Twitter at P DeMeo. And also, they can make sure to tweet Fuel AMA. And I can answer any question that they may have on the next podcast, which is our 50th. Ooh, I didn't say you were invited on that one. I'm sneaky. We're going to bring, oh. we're gonna bring it in the A-list for the next week. Uh, I'm going to get a bunch of ringers. Right. So come listen to me on episode 51 of the Fuel <laughs> Podcast. All right, Pete. Thanks.
That Pete guy, he just completely derailed me. I forgot yeah. where we were in the conversation. All right, so back to user testing. So just to clarify, because I don't think we necessarily did the best job of explaining what it is. So it's a website that is usertesting.com, right? Yes. That you can go to and you can actually sign up and say, run a test yourself. So you basically say, here are the instructions. Here are the people that I want to target, like leisure travelers, whatever, age demographics. There's all kinds of targeting that you can do and how many people you want to respond. And basically once that they match you up with a test subject, that person comes to, they have software on their computer or mobile device and they'll come and they'll follow your instructions and they will literally take you very, very literally. There's there's not a lot of deviation from what you tell them to do. Click, click, click. But they re- you get to record their screen so you see what they're be- how they're behaving and you get to hear them because they talk their way through it. So you hear their internal monologue and they're going to talk you through their thought process. And that's where the real value comes in. And when we're talking about you know the results we've seen, that's why. Because we get to hear how people interpret stuff. And we've learned over time how they interpret the questions is almost as important as anything else, yes. right? And keeping them as simple as possible is really, really important. But also verbiage on the website like click on the xyz button and and whether or not they find that and and whether they interpret it as a different button um you know is is real interesting so you got to be completely dummy proof when you set these tests up which doesn't seem possible every time i think i've been dummy proof i've been proven wrong yeah but we learn we get better every time we are right? getting better we optimize we need to test our testing well and i mean all things considered it's not the most expensive thing in the world it's pretty affordable i mean correct me if i'm wrong but isn't it like 50 dollars a person to test yeah roughly. give or take yeah yeah so yeah. it's not you know if you can throw you know a couple hundred dollars or even less than that at a test that's going to improve your website conversion rate by even a little bit i mean it pays yeah, for itself yeah. pretty quickly it's a good investment and what we found is it really works better in conjunction with a b testing so you take mm-hmm. information that you learn from this uh, qualitative data and then you apply your hypothesis through the quantitative a B testing, right? So we might find that people are struggling because of the verbiage we're using on the buttons, right? So now we can run an A B test by changing the word specials to deals or whatever it is, right? And then we can get actionable results that we can apply. Exactly. So, so I don't I don't think user testing in and of itself is that valuable. Like you can't just do user testing and say, yeah, I've got an optimization strategy. I think it's a part of a much bigger testing strategy and part of a bigger puzzle exactly because again we are talking about a very small sample size and making big decisions on your website that is generating a lot of money for you based on five people's opinion which by the way aren't always the same can be a little dangerous so always you know if a if you're getting differing opinions on the same task or maybe you are getting a consistent opinion on the same task but just always test it it will cost you less than making a bad decision. So, so what are what are some of the biggest things? Like, if you if someone is gonna wants to start user testing, what are some advice that you would give them before they started? I would say to call us. That would be step one. Shameless okay. plug. If they want to do it on their own, because we we're not gonna force anyone to use an agency. Yes, if they want to do it on their own, I would say come up with a small task to start with. Don't shoot for the sky, you know, come up with something simple. I personally think that 
coming up with the instructions for the test is the hardest part of this experience because as Stuart said, people will take you very literally and how they interpret what you are asking them to do can be really challenging. It's also difficult to kind of form the, the tasks in a way that gives you the information you're looking for without skewing the tester to go in a direction just to verify your own hypothesis. Yeah, don't, don't put leading questions for sure. So I say start small, as we say with everything. Just start with something very simple. Ask them to, you know, complete a, a room search and give their opinion on, you know, the, the results page and how that they would filter a, a room type, for example. That would be one way to go. Um, and then have them potentially go through that booking process without entering, obviously, their credit card information and see if there are any hangups along the way. That would be something very simple to get going. Yeah, and it, it's amazing when you get someone else's fresh perspective, the things that you learn. You know, we are all so ingrained in what we do in hotels and hoteliers, managers, owners, and marketers that they all, it's their baby. And, and they often cannot see past what they want to see. You know, they, yeah. they have this, uh, you know, just utopian view of what it is and they've done it so many times. So one of the, the cautions I would give you too is, is, don't fall prey to confirmation bias, you know, just because if, if four people say something, but then one person says the things you already assume, right? you tend to naturally, it's just a human psychological phenomena. You're going to gravitate towards, well, that one guy said the same as me. So, so just be cautious and let this, this should be something that creates new questions for you and new ways to think about things so that you can apply you know, these other tests. Um, so what we do here is we look at the the qualitative data that we get from user testing. We look at the quantitative data that we get from AB multivariate testing on the site. And then we look at global data, then another quantitative study data that we, you know, in terms of like the things we did with Flip2 with our recent website behavior study. So we combine all that information into new hypotheses and new ideas and new functionality and then we test the crap out of that as well you know so melissa always says what always be testing always be testing and i that, stand by it yeah and, and there are different tools that give you different results and different angles but it's it's you just got to have a, an inquisitive mind and they have the mindset that no website is perfect and it can always be better and it's all about incremental changes because if you can move the needle 0.1 percent today and then 0.1% next week and then you keep going and it, it accumulates and accumulates before you know it you've you've significantly shifted the needle and you're making a lot more revenue a lot more conversions your search rankings are higher and everyone's happy yeah I think the really cool part about user testing is once you get over the initial hurdles which could be just defining your goal you know writing the instructions in an unbiased way where you're not pushing the user to do what you want your outcome to be. Once you kind of overcome those hurdles, the options are really endless and you have so many opportunities to get creative with this. I personally really enjoy, um, you know, seeing what Tambourine did where they're looking at not only the hotel's website, but Expedia and trying to differentiate the difference between those two different booking processes or even, you know, 
doing being a little sneaky, taking Pete's method and looking at some of your competitors. I mean, I love that. Idea. I, I really like that you can be as creative and outside of the box. This doesn't just have to be your own website. You can look at other people's website and see how people are interacting with it. What do they like about it? How are they using it? And use that to your advantage. Yeah, it, I mean, think about just search. How do people search? How do they use Google? So if you're if you're interested at all in how the SERP, the search engine results page changes, has affected you, you know, if, if we got a lot of clients this year that are still number one from all the keywords they were number one for last year, but their organic search traffic is down. You know, if you're doing user testing, you can see why because you'll see these people aren't even getting down to the organic results. They're, Absolutely, they're and you don't even local. have to do it from a brand perspective right. too like you were saying you can if you're really interested in how your consumer is finding your property right. ask them to pretend like they're planning a vacation what is their thought process in your destination you know you want to go to Tahiti okay you know go to a search engine type something whatever it may be you know you can leave it as broad or specific as you yeah. want but that right. really puts you in their head and is a really good opportunity for you to start presenting that information to them if it's not on your website yeah so I mean it's cheap it's instantaneous it's valuable, uh, you know. I, I can't say enough that I recommend everyone should try. It. But like Melissa said at the beginning, start small. You know, you you can do one person at a time and see if your questions are on point or leading or misleading, and and then adjust the test, you know, and then push it out to four or five people. That's and if you're really really interested in it, I would recommend being a tester. I actually have done a few user tests. You do get paid to do it. It's not a lot. It's like $10 a test. But I feel like it really helps clarify the process just from what the user is going to be going through so you have a better idea of how you can structure your test. Yeah, that's a great point. Any Anytime you don't fully understand something, just roll up your sleeves and go do it. And I think you're going to get much better insight into how it works. And also one other point to point out is that we should be testing both desktop and mobile versions of yes. the site because and, and it's you, going to be different. Yes. And if you can only test one of those, test mobile, mobile first. first yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So a lot of people will make the mistake of just looking at the desktop, not even considering the mobile, but we're, we're past that tipping point guys. It was 2014 when we hit 50% of traffic as on mobile. So you got to get with the program and go mobile first. Absolutely. All right. So does that cover it for user testing? Can we get into shameless plugs or do you have more? Uh, I just want one more caveat on the user testing. Okay. And that is that even though you can be really specific about the targeting of the testers in terms of the demographic information, all that information, Mm -hmm. just still be aware that this is not your typical website visitor. These are people who do take tests all the time. They're very familiar with website navigation and things like that. So again, just take everything with a little bit of a grain of salt. That's all. Yeah. And they do ask you on the, as somebody who's gone through it before, they do kind of ask you, you know, to input your own information, which a, you can lie about that. Um, but they do have like, how savvy are you? But I do agree over time, if you are testing multiple times, you're that's going to change. So. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it doesn't devalue some of the stuff you're going to find, you know, just Agreed. listening to the thought process. But yeah, again, that's why it's not qualitative data, you know, quantitative, quantitative data. This is something that you, you interpret the way you need to, and then apply that to other hypotheses, like we said. So now I'm done. I'm going to, your new name should be Melissa caveat. Oh, Ooh, I like that. <laughs> dad jokes brought to you today by Misha. Not sneaky Pete. Not he's sneaky he's Pete. officially sneaky now. I get to be the dad jokes. Gotcha. Who's gonna do the wine? I can multitask. Okay. Dad jokes and wine and cats. They're gonna get worse though as the wine consumption increases. 
Yeah, and last week after the podcast, you started rattling off cat-related dad jokes, which was really terrible. I'm glad I was not recording. (laughs) I saved our listeners from that fate. You're all welcome. Yeah. All right, so let's do some shameless plugs, shall we? We shall. So coming up next week, because if you can count, people, we are on currently episode 49 that you're listening to. So that means that next week has a zero at the end. And as we know that humans, for whatever reason, celebrate zeros at the end of numbers, and 50 seems to be kind of rounded in a way and is the golden anniversary if you're married for 50 years. So for the 50th anniversary or 50th episode, we are going to do a special episode next week, right? We are. Are you are you excited? As long as I'm A-list approved, apparently there's a list you have to get on. You guys have to be nice to me this this week if, if you want to be on the live episode. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I feel like we have the upper hand, though, because if we don't do it, who is? Well, this is true. <laughs> yeah. My yeah. A-list is the C-list. It's okay. Yeah, it's fine. I've come to accept this. Um, <laughs> this is how I motivate staff in, at Fuel, just so anyone, everyone listening understands if they ever wanted to come work for Fuel. Yeah, we're hiring. It's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, my A-list was here today. So Misha, Melissa, Pete, and I are all going to be hosting a very special live episode of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast next week. And it is going to be live on Facebook and YouTube. So you can go to Fuel Travel's pages on each of those. Or you can go follow us on Twitter at Fuel Travel. And we're going to be putting out links to that. But in preparation for that, because the episode is going to be a very special Ask Me Anything AMA episode, we are soliciting questions from our faithful listeners. And we've already got a handful in that we're excited about. There was a really cool analytics one. Uh, yesterday, I think, Melissa, I don't know if you saw that. I heard about it. Uh, And it's going to be a future blog post as well. It's very timely that that came in. Awesome. So we are soliciting questions. So if you want to solicit a question that could be considered to be answered on next week's show, preferably hotel marketing related, but not exclusively, it can be anything you want because it is an AMA. But you can hit us up on Twitter at Fuel Travel with the hashtag Fuel AMA. It's F-U-E-L-A-M-A. Or if you are not into the Twitters, then just simply use that old-fashioned email and send an email to info at fueltravel.com with the subject line Fuel AMA. And we will do our best to answer as many questions as we can. We can get a little long-winded, as you guys can currently tell. So we'll, we'll squeeze as many as we can in. So you know what? I say the- we change it to yes or no answers. Just yes, no. <laughs> be the shortest <laughs> AMA ever. Yeah, I, I don't know that people would appreciate that. Or there'd be yeah. much value to our uh, faithful true. listeners. So we're excited about it. We'll have a lot of fun and hopefully our, our listeners will. If you just listen to us on iTunes or Stitch or wherever you listen to podcasts, and hopefully you're willing to see our ugly mugs next week and turn on a screen that shows us actually talking. You'll see how we do this thing here. But it's going to be it's gonna be great. So Look out on Twitter. I think that's the best way. That's where we're communicating most of it this week. So, yeah. So I will just throw in that there's, I listen to a bunch of not work-related podcasts. And there's one that they do it live on Facebook. And I sometimes I'll catch it on Thursday nights. And there's a guy that, and it's like a sports sarcasm commentary. And this guy, he just drinks red wine straight out of the bottle. So maybe that can be my thing for the live podcast. Because I still have Ricky from Flip 2's red bottle of wine. 
I, I Why really, do you still have that and not have it drunk yet? I is that a burp? legitimate question. Well, because I had I've been like moving she had to the seventy two other bottles in that house. <laughs> no, I wish, but no, I've moved to the box wine, which is a little bit more affordable long term, but it is long term. <laughs> so I finally finished my box of wine. So nice so for future reference you can also send me some boxes <laughs> yes of it will wine. last a lot longer <laughs> let's get one bottle before we start asking for boxes yeah. uh, but yeah you can totally drink wine on the show i don't think any one of our listeners ha- would be shocked or surprised yeah. in fact they would probably be surprised if you were not drinking i don't wine. believe it or not i don't drink during the podcast i feel like most people have a beer or two but i just stick to my water i'm on water today uh, yeah man next week things might get wild and crazy yeah. in the fuel office i'm gonna get us cake too i think well, I was going to make a surprise cake. Thanks. Okay. Well, I was going to get us a surprise. non-surprise cake because I told you about it. But Oh, well, fine. If you want to bring a cake, you can. Well, I'd rather you made one because it would be more delicious. Let I them eat cake. Okay, Marie Antoinette. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like we should give out prizes too. Ooh. Because everybody really wants a fuel vest. We've got fuel vests, fuel um, playing mu- cards. mugs, fuel playing cards. <laughs> Autographs. Uh, yeah, sure. That's yes. priceless right there. That Absolutely. Priceless. But we are excited to hopefully see you guys next week. If you're listening to this after what April 7th, 2017, then the, the live Sorry. event already happened. But you can probably go back to YouTube oh, I and thought watch you were going to say, if for some reason you're still listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> this probably one of our three listeners is still on. But where can they find you on the web, Misha? You can find me on Twitter at Marketing Misha. That is at Marketing M-E-I-S-H-A. And Melissa. Ma Cavanaugh, M-A-K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H. And you can find me at Stuart Butler, S-T-U-A-R-T-B-U-T-L-E-R. Again, you can find us collectively at Fuel Travel. And you can submit your questions for next week's 50th episode at hashtag FuelAMA. And until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Something for the end.